In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My dear sons and daughters, as always, it is good to be with you before the Holy Altar on this, a gray but beautiful autumn morning, as our hearts are yet again warmed and challenged by the beautiful words of our Savior, giving us the first and the greatest commandment to love the Lord God with all heart, soul, and mind, and the second, which is like it, to love neighbor as self. Let us ponder first the meaning of the first commandment. You shall love. It's aspirational and conditional. You shall love, because they say, well, I do love God, but then giving the categorical examination with all your heart, soul, and mind. And you might see this according to the three great virtues of faith, hope, and charity. To love the Lord your God with all your heart is to live charity. To love the Lord God with all your soul is to live hope. To love the Lord God with all your mind is to live faith. Heart and charity. These are the deeds by which I serve God and neighbor with affection and love. Heart. Soul or hope. My interior life, my spiritual life, my prayer in which I acknowledge the hope I have in the risen Christ who saves us from the coming wrath. Mind, faith, the power of my intellect to, as St. Paul says, put on the mind of Christ. And we shall do these things with all. Neighborly love is conditional on a smaller level. Love your neighbor as yourself. The first commandment, as you grow in faith and hope and charity, or heart, soul, and mind, the more you grow in that, the more you will grow in the ability to love one's neighbor. For if we have a narrowing of heart or charity, then our love for neighbor will tend to become either selfish, turned in on itself, or apathetic, yeah, I love you, but nothing ever comes of it. If we have a defect of soul or hope, I will not be able to, that will either be presumptive, oh, whatever, you know, all dogs go to heaven, who cares? Or it will be despairing or depressive. I can't overcome my own wounds or hurts. And then in mind, if I don't love God rightly with my mind or with my faith, then I either have ignorance, no idea what I'm talking about, or error, I say something that is incorrect. So the more we grow in these virtues, and that's called to every human, that's why the law and the prophets depend on it. Because the more you grow in these virtues, the more you can be powerful in your love of neighbor. Now I bring this up in the contemporary context, which frankly is a little difficult for me, of some things that our current Holy Father, Pope Francis, has said that have given tremendous confusion across the world. And the Pope has said most recently in a documentary that we ought to give civil recognition to immoral things, something that we know is not true. This is frankly not the first erroneous thing, and I would contend most of these things. I am not the judge of the Pope, but in the evaluation, I would contend most of these things are errors of mind or faith. And there have been a couple others, and my point is not to run down the Pope, but to give this context. When the Roman pontiff the successor of St. Peter, the Pope, says something wrong, what happens? Because people tend to freak out. 
And the first thing is to put this in its proper understanding. Number one, is the Pope the head of the church? No. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the head of the church. The Pope is the vicar of Christ. He's the assistant. The Pope is the successor of St. Peter. He has his powers according to the power of Peter. Now note this very importantly. Simon, son of Jonah, one of the twelve, called by Christ, is there in Caesarea Philippi. You can read this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. And Jesus Christ says to the apostles, who do people say the Son of Man is? Well, some say Elijah or one of the prophets. Some say John the Baptist. And then Jesus says to Peter and the apostles, who do you say that I am? And it is Simon, son of Jonah, who arises and says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my heavenly Father. Therefore I say to you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall prevail not against it. The right confession of faith makes him Peter. Now you will notice in verses 21 through 23 of that exact same chapter, which is some days later, Jesus Christ is talking about his passion and death. And Simon, now Peter, goes up and says, Lord, surely nothing like that shall happen to you. And you might know this passage. Christ responds says, Get behind me, Satan. You are obstacle to me. You are thinking not as God does, as human beings do. Now take note. When James and John say to Jesus, Oh, these Samaritan towns that don't want us to come visit, shall we cast down fire from heaven? Jesus does not say, you are Satan. He says, no, that's silly, stop it. When Thomas doubts, Jesus does not say, your doubt, you are Satan. No, he says only to Peter, on you I build the church, and when you think in a worldly way, you are Satan. Because only to Peter has he given this gift and this power that he shall protect the faith. That is why, right, when the Apostle Peter denies Christ three times, I don't know him, we don't say, oh, that, the Pope said he doesn't know Jesus, therefore I say I don't know. No, it's ridiculous, of course. He has the power to teach according to the Spirit of God and the Spirit of truth. If you want to know what the Pope's job is, all you need to do is read the second letter of St. Peter, chapter 1 where the Apostle Peter himself is writing in 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter, an apostle according to Christ Jesus, saved by his blood and his glorious resurrection, to all who share the same faith, as that line, all who share the same faith as us, called to be holy in the world, and so forth. And he said, I remind you of these things, although you already know them. For it is my duty ever to set them before you. That's what the Pope does. And so when a Pope does differently, that is a hard, hard moment. But we must pray for a great deal of light and not give in to any confusion. Some people say, well, Father, isn't the Pope infallible? Yes, and how? But when he teaches according to the Spirit of Christ. The same council, Vatican I, that
that teaches the Pope infallible also teaches this. I quote directly. The same council that said the Pope is infallible also said the following, quote, The Holy Spirit was not promised to the successors of Peter that by his revelation they might make known some new doctrine. But that by the assistance of the Holy Spirit, the successors of Peter might inviolably keep and faithfully teach the revelation, the deposit of faith handed on by the apostles. That is the duty of the pontiff. Now the hard thing is, the Pope has that gift. That is why Christ only calls Peter Satan, because only Peter and his successors stand alone before the infinity of God. You and I always have some superior. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, the nuns in school, the parish priest, the diocesan bishop, the cardinal, whatever. There's always someone above us to correct us. The Pope has no one. He alone stands before the infinity of God and must rely utterly on the Holy Spirit. Therefore, we do not judge. We must not let any error of the successor of St. Peter wound our heart or our charity. We love the Pope, no matter who he is. And we show deference and respect to all people, but that does not mean we affirm error. I had a great friend in the seminary who was ordained a priest, left, became a Lutheran minister. He calls me up. I have dinner with him. I treat him with respect. We act in a friendly way. Does that mean that I affirm what he believes? No. Of course, we all know that would be nonsense. These are hard times, I don't deny. But you shall love the Lord your God with whole heart, mind, and soul. How beautiful it is that we can easily access the sacred scriptures. We can easily access the catechism of the Catholic Church. We can worship God and be nourished in the faith. It is grievous and hard, I do not deny. We must pray very much for the cardinals of the church. You know, St. Paul in Galatians 2, 11 through 13 says, quote, I opposed Peter to his face because he was clearly wrong, unquote. Again, same thing. The church had taught in the Council of Jerusalem, and St. Peter was there. The church taught, you don't have to keep the Jewish dietary law. All of a sudden, a couple of years later, there's St. Peter telling people, keep the dietary law. Paul goes to him and says, no, that is wrong. And Peter says, oh, you're right. That was wrong. I don't do it anymore. That's why St. Peter is a saint. Well, does everyone in Galatia pop off about St. Peter? No. They pray for him. They show respect to him. And they ask that those who have the power confront. And so should we do. In great peace of heart. It's hard to have peace of heart. But in great peace of heart. Because when that host and chalice are lifted up, there is the one in whom we believe. There is the one into whose words we are faithful and bind our lives. There is the Lord Jesus who says, the great commandment is to love the Lord God with all your heart and your love and your charity. All your soul, all your hope and aspiration, and all your mind, the great powers of your intellect, and then the joyful venture to love your neighbor as yourself. So even in times of great trial, St. Paul said it, right? You receive the word of the Lord in much affliction, 
but with joy in the Holy Spirit. So brothers and sisters, let us worship faithfully and sing well. Have joy in the Holy Spirit. Pray much for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, and the cardinals of the church to help teach aright. And then do our level best with great joy to love the Lord God with whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, and neighbor as self. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.